Welcome to another episode of Tales from the Tables with your host, Rob Bradley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Tales from the Tables, episode six, I believe this is. Welcome to six, yeah. Six, episode six, all right, all right. How you guys doing? Good, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm probably a bit echoey as I am out in the field (laughs) recording this week, so. Live from the field. (laughs) Yeah, this is is James, one of my co-hosts, and of course we've also got JC, Hello, hey, JC. Hello. How you doing? Hey, good, good. I'm all excited. I am going back to the UK this week. Oh yeah. yeah, back yeah. to the land. Um, I will be, too. I will be doing the Roll Dark, um, GM School of Mastery at Oxford yeah, University, cool. which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and then I'm also up in Edinburgh for a little while, so it should be exciting. Oh yeah, of course, great. So how long are you staying over for? I don't know. Nice. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't booked a return flight yet because they are positively ridiculous. So looking for the best option. Plus, I have some things going on here that I might have to do in a, a quick emergency flight out to not New York. So um, oh, we'll okay. see. I'll, I'll uh, maybe indefinitely. Who knows? Maybe I just won't come back to the states. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah just <laughs> oh, by the time we're on episode sixty, my, I'll I'll come back with a Scottish brogue. I'll be nice. talking like this because I'm stuck out there in Edinburgh, the whole team. Oh, lovely. <laughs> well, it's a lovely place to get stuck. How are you, James? You go? Yes. Yeah, yeah very well. Good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So um, you say you're, you're in the field. Whereabouts Whereabouts in the field are you? Are you uh, um, I'm, near the I'm hedge? At my, or? I'm, at, oh. I'm, at, I'm at Jade's workplace <laughs> as I'm helping her redecorate some of it. Oh, so, um, so yeah, so that's why it's all empty because it's all being moved around, repainted organized so yeah i'm taking it taking a bit of time out um which is great because i've um i've done very little because i've been doing other work this morning as well so <laughs> i've probably not been as helpful as i could have been today been yeah. a bit swamped yeah yeah yes it's that time that time that time of year but you know mm. it's is fin- it financial end isn't it is that right yes that is that is yeah. unfortunately correct but um yeah, i won't I've, bore everyone I've, with that <laughs> yeah that's the, that's the thing I've, I've been sent i've been sent a load of invoices from various different things being like oh can you pay for this can you pay for that now and i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa one second one second one second oh, that is. reminds me speaking of invoice no 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 i'm kidding oh yeah yeah you haven't actually <laughs> sent me your invoice this <laughs> week jc are. yeah i keep getting this like massive amount of, load of money from jc's like oh can you pay me rob i'm like whoa ah, ah. oh yeah yeah of course <laughs> yeah, forget it. it's been like three weeks <laughs> it's been like three weeks exactly exactly cool 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 so so James, what's been going on in the news and stuff? Much going on in the world of RPGs? Yes, so we do have uh, some news this week um, from cool. the new Planescape book that's Ooh, been announced. So and um, it, it looks yeah. pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. I think I think there's a lot of a lot of DMs, um, certainly Roldock DMs, have done stuff in Planescape in Planescape before. Is it isn't it? Is yeah. it was a, it was an original book before, wasn't it? Is that right? It was, it was yeah. Old, I think yeah. 3.5 is when it first came out. Maybe 2 I might I might be wrong about that. But I've been actually like delving deep into the old lore from the old books lately. Okay. Like, this whole week in preparation and anticipation. So. And there was I'm sure there was a video game at Planescape. Yeah. Torment. Yeah. Planescape Torment. Torment. That was like yeah. ninety nine. Um oh, same wow. around around the same time as Baldur's Gate. Oh, cool. So what, so what is Planescape for anyone out there who's listening that has no idea what you guys are, or what we're talking about? 
well, it's, it's sort of dimension hopping mm. adventures, isn't it? So going from like the all the different planes, like the Hells and the Astral Plane and things like that. Oh, and very... obviously the, the Spelljammer one, they've sort of explored the Astral Plane a bit. So yeah, I think this one will do. It will probably have more width than than depth to all the different things, but. As a DM yeah. who likes the homebrew, that's sort of ideal. Just like give me enough to spark my imagination, and then you sort of fly from there. Right. Sweet. I feel like it's also all very rooted in the city of Sigil, which is spelled mm. Sigil. So I called it Sigil forever, but I've had people <laughs> beat it out of me. So Sigil oh, is apparently wow. a city in the Outlands. Well, that's what I'm hearing. Who knows? You, you're your own DMs. You can do whatever you want at your table. Friendly reminder. Um, right in yeah, listeners. it's this um, donut-shaped city at the very top of a massive spire, basically in the proverbial center of all the different realms, all the different planes of existence. Um, wow. And uh, it's the domain of the Lady of Pain, who is a very enigmatic, mysterious figure who doesn't really get involved in the day to day life and politics of the city. But it's also called the City of Doors because you can meet literally anyone there. And they often say, like, oh, you'll see a devil and an angel sipping tea together in front of the local shop. And uh, you might run into a Modron having a, a heated argument with a, a, you know, something else, a Pegasus or something like that. So oh, wow. yeah, it's um, supposed to be like a conflux of all the different inhabitants of the planes. Oh, okay, interesting. What what do you think it is about the moment? Because this seems to be very, very, um, very much a, like a very popular thing within pop culture. The whole multiverse idea <laughs> at the moment. You've got it with DC, obviously copying Marvel, I guess. Um, D and D have kind of attached themselves to it now as well, yep, I suppose. The but, multiverse but theory, spite sp- the Spideyverse as well. That's there. It's like, what do you think? Why why do you think this is like suddenly just everyone's just obsessed with the multiverse? You know, I'm. I have no idea. I have a feeling like the human. This is my philosophical take on it. The human consciousness slowly expands and grows, right, as a collective, kind of like the the zeitgeist. And we're entering a period where we realize we're we're trying to become more of a global community, I feel like, and become more aware of each other and more attached. And as a result, our media and our fiction is starting to explore that, but on the mega scale that it's always explored, right? right? So back in whatever, 1911 or whenever Superman was written, it was about humans and, and people trying to be their ultimate. And so the comic book equivalent of that was Superman. And now that we're trying, you know, that we're faced with infinite possibilities and people identifying themselves early on and having so many spectrums to choose from as before, where, you know, we had rigid boxes to identify with with gender and race. Now we're trying to expand beyond those boundaries. And um, as a result, I think our fiction and our media is pushing into the multiverse and exploring every infinite possibility. Um, God knows I've done it in my D and T games, especially in my <laughs> Wayfinders team game. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it is a trend, though. You're right. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly around. I think there's yeah. also the the element that you can take something that people recognize and put a twist on it, and then you don't have to work from the ground up with recognition of a new thing. You can take something mm. that people already do and do something new with it, and they're sort of already on board a little bit before they. Or get into this whatever whatever the new thing is so like yeah like i said like comic book movies and stuff they'll do a different take on on the same character and it's the ability to yeah. do that 
yeah, look at the Flash, right, with the alternate version that just came out, and uh, or, or where he's meeting his alternate self, and yeah, in the universe where Michael Michael Keaton is still Batman. <laughs> so sick. Yeah, I've not, yeah. I'm not I, seen. I, I've not seen it. Yet. I haven't seen, seen it? it either. But yeah. from the trailers alone, where he's like coming back in, swooping down yeah. the tunnel, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm Batman." So like, badass. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so cool. So cool. Apparently, Christopher Reeve makes a cameo as well. They've got like. Um, <gasps> him at the end apparently with supergirl yeah. oh my god spoiler alert spoiler yeah alert. yeah yeah apparently he, he he's there with her and and also nicholas cage oh, yeah superman god. the superman no. never happened yeah. no yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the long black hair yeah yeah oh, i would have do you know what i was so i was i'm a massive super superman fan right let me mm. just um let me just grab you some guys something one second yeah suspense this is exciting. So this is this is the first book I ever read, right? The Death and oh, Life wow. of Superman. It's the it's the um, novel adaptation of um, of the comic book that came out in 1993, I think it was. And I'm massively dyslexic, and I can't. I, I struggle to read massively. This took me three years to read, hmm. and and at the time, I'd I'd like I hated books. I hated everything to do with books. I hated reading. Couldn't stand it. But I absolutely loved Superman. I remember seeing this at a time where there was no Superman movies. No, 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 no Superman wasn't on TV yet. Like the Dean Kane Superman hadn't started yet. And I was like, mm. just watching, constantly watching the VHS recording of Superman two that we had on our, on our like crappy wow. VHS recorder over yeah. and over and over. <laughs> like just constantly watching it, be like, oh wow. And then I remember, the, uh, I remember the first time I watched Superman one and was like, oh my god, there's like another Superman film. I had like no idea. So then when I saw this book, I was like, right, I'm going to, I was like, he's, he's dead. He's dead. So I was like, right, that's it. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to figure out how to read. How to read. And this, and this, <laughs> yeah. this, this taught me how to read the, 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 awesome. the, the will of wanting to, of wanting to find out what happens to Superman. <laughs> made that's me amazing. And, and for those of you who aren't actually seeing it, the book looks yeah. like it's been read a lot. It's yeah. very warm. And <laughs> yeah, the, has, the, yeah. the, the pages are all yellow. Yep. I've yeah. had it since I was 14 years old. Wow. This literally that's is so like my, cool. my pride and joy. Yeah. I don't know what's happened to a lot of my old books I've had from when I was I was that age. Hmm. All, yeah, it's crazy. All, isn't it? all they, the boxes they kind of, in my parents' attic. <laughs> they kind of lose themselves along the way, along the journey, don't they? They kind of like get go to somebody else. Someone else starts reading them, or mm. whatever. Well, that's, that's the epic life of books. It's so cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so going back to Nicolas Cage. So yeah, I was like so psyched about about that film coming out, and then so like gutted when it never did because I was so looking when, forward. To when it. was that supposed to happen? 1996 or seven oh. i think it was was it the yeah, kevin smith yeah kevin smith One. wrote it he wrote yeah. what well, he wrote he wrote this oh, wow. the treat the treatment for the script he wrote and uh have you seen have you seen the video of him on youtube when yeah he's talking about the giant it. the giant spider and you got john peters the producer sat on the sofa and he's just doing that with his hands he's got his hands up above his head like <laughs> like side by side and he's going like and then and like what are you doing and he's like oh this is uh this is the screen. I'm in the I'm in the movie theater I'm, and I'm watching it. The screen. Oh, he was meant to be like a yeah. theater member, right? And he was obs- wow. he was obsessed with a, with um, he was obsessed with spiders. So he, he wanted Superman to fight a giant spider at the uh, at the end of the film. <laughs> well, he finally got his film, wish. He did. Yeah, he finally got his wish because it it ended up in um was it in Flash? Was it? It's in the Flash. Yeah, they they put the giant <laughs> oh they put God. the the clip of Nick Cage Superman as him fighting this enormous spider. Oh really? <laughs> oh oh man. God. Nick Cage, though. Oh, God. I don't my, know if he actually did it or if they just CGI'd him in. Well, you it looks say very that uncanny valley. 
you see, I, I don't I don't get Nick Cage as Superman, but I do get him as Clark Kent. I think he could have been a really good Clark Kent. Because he's, he's, he's a dweeby, nerdy dude. He could yeah. be like all like, because he's a very physical actor. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just like, uh, uh, hi, hi, Lois. Uh, how are you doing? Uh. Do you know what I mean? He could be, he, <laughs> could, to- really good. he could totally be like that. Yeah. And then to see him then become Superman would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. It would have oh, okay, been amazing. Okay. All right, you're selling me on it. I'm I'm yeah. almost there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Nick Cage is very. I'll never see it. <laughs> like you know. Passionate about it, isn't he? Because he's named his son. Kal-El. Yeah, Kal-El, Kal-El, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, oh, he was he hates talking about it in interviews when he gets asked about it. He's like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, it never happened, and yeah, <laughs> just you know, because he really Let's move wanted on to, to the do next it. question. Yeah, right. Yeah, he really wanted to do it. <laughs> So um so yeah plain plain planescape. So yes. what what else what other details have we got on it? Okay, so what we're looking at is um three books again, much like the um the last the last um like large adventure thing that came out, the Spelljammer oh, one. Three books. So, why, why why three books? What are the books? So I think there's the source book, so the camp so there's a campaign book um Great. which is called Turn of Fortune's Wheel. Um 96 page adventure. Um, designed to sort of be an introduction to to Planescape, um, and there's some sort of glitch in the reality of the multiverse that the players are trying to investigate. That's so that sounds pretty cool. cool. That's cool. Um, and then you've got the Mort's Planar Parade. So that's a a 64 page book, which is a new monster manual for 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 the, all the different planes. Um, Sick. So nice. quite a lot. So yeah, all the city of I'm going to say Sigil, uh, JC, to be different. Um, Listen, you and... do you. I, I was doing that for years, so... Yeah, exactly. I, I can't change now. I'm setting my it ways. It feels um, wrong, right? Yeah, it does, yeah. Sigil. No, it's not right. Um, and the nearby regions. Uh, and then there is a source book that offers detailed campaign information that sort of serves as an introduction to the Planescape setting for new players. And that's another 96-page um, nice. book. So background on lore, history, NPCs, locations, and the planes... Um, I'm sort of looking for City of Brass stuff. That's what I want. Like yeah. a oh, lot you more like City of Brass. Yeah, I like the whole genie stuff and Genasi. I'm, I'm I'm a big fan of. So nice. All right. Give me more of that. Very yeah. acrobatic. Yeah, that's um. There's not other than the, the like the three book set. I think they've released the artwork for like the the more expensive version of the three book set, and it's all very lovely. It, it looks mm. really really nice. Um, I think the Lady of Pain's on like the front of the Monster yeah. Manual book. Yeah, she looks really badass. Really yeah, cool. it does look it does look pretty cool. So, yeah, so it looks like the inner planes are covered. So that's the elemental. So that's water, earth, air, and lightning. Um, Great. So that doesn't say fire, but that's fine. Um, I'll just assume that that's one of the elemental planes. They've just not listed it. Um, ethereal plane. Definitely is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, uh, ethereal plane. So misty, fog-filled dimension. Um, sometimes described as a great ocean, which is uh, that's pretty cool. I think. That, yeah. So that's what you that you have some interaction with that with some of the spells from from the base game already. Yeah. So um, a bit more stuff about the different prime material planes. So using the great wheel cosmology. Mm. Um, so they cool. have some dragon lance and forgotten realms, maybe crossover type stuff. Um, where those two like maybe I don't want to say it because Greyhawk is is maybe a thing that they'll have included, but Forest. who knows? Yeah. Mm. Um, astral plane again, so we'll get some more astral plane stuff, which is cool because anything to sort of pad out a bit of the spelljammer campaign would be pretty cool. 
I like. Yeah, I like. The I, theme. I never get tired of astral stuff or more astral, please. No, exactly. Plus, as soon as you've got bags of holding or more than one of them, there's a very good chance your players are going there. So just yeah. all the information yeah. for when that inevitably happens. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the outer plane is representing alignments in the primary domains of various deities. So huge number of uh, of options by the sounds of it. Um, Great. Yeah. So. so- I had heard in the adventure, this is something really cool, and you can confirm this, James. Isn't it like a set level between, I think it's like you, you, you go from levels 3 to 10, and then suddenly you jump to like level 17 or something like that? Yeah, and then it does 17 to 20, apparently. <laughs> How cool is that? That's awesome. <laughs> I bet players are like loving it, and I bet DMs are ripping their hair out. If, if as long as it comes with the stuff to run it, I don't, I don't see it being a problem. It's a set adventure as well. Like the problem that a lot of DMs have with running characters to level twenty is that they're like, we'll run out of stuff to throw at them. Um, they're all too yeah. powerful. Nothing, nothing mm. works anymore. But you just need to be more inventive. It's, it's. Fine. Oh yeah, I, I've never had a problem having a high level encounter. No, I've but had those. I feel like. I feel like the the trick is to make sure that your players feel comfortable with their sheets, right? So so slow progression to level 20 obviously is very hard to do considering consistency of groups and whatnot, but at least you know that the players have built on their knowledge of the character. Whereas when people are like, oh, let's play a level 21 shot and make a level 20 character, it's very rare that I've seen that people intimately know everything that they can do yeah I, like the most common thing i hear is like oh damn i forgot i had damage resistance to this yeah, right. or i forgot i had that particular feature that lets me teleport as a bonus action or whatever yeah um, yeah yeah a lot of it is just keeping track of what they can do and not and not yeah. forgetting it at the time um, and also just making sh- I, it's hard not to get used to pulling punches if you're throwing overpower monsters at them which i tend to do with my players because um, it's more fun that way um and then you get to the point where you're actually legit you could legitimately throw these creatures at them you're like oh well i've, I've actually already used these and they've killed them so i need to <laughs> i need to take out yet another notch just make everything an illithid all right that's that's the trick that's it that's, <laughs> it. Oh, that's a- <laughs> well actually speaking of high level monsters so i'm also seeing that the Mort's Planar Parade book, one of the three, the sort of monster manual for this uh, Planescape setting, includes time dragons. And it's so bizarre because I've literally just delved into the lore, as in two days ago, because I was planning this for an upcoming session this week, as to the history of time dragons in D&D. And I, I had this sort of campaign ending idea for one. And I, w- I can't tell you how disappointed I was in their visual design. They look rather silly. Um, I- I'm sure it's a product oh. of their time. I hope they get a, a little bit of a makeover. Um, but basically, they look like large spindly raccoons because they've got an infinity symbol. So they're mostly grayish white. They're rather right. thin. Okay. Um, and they have this hourglass shaped mask of black that grows around their eyes with age. Just like a raccoon. Just like a raccoon. And then they also have like the bands, uh, the same sort of black bands across the body till you reach the tail. And the tail has these two little needle-like protrusions that look like the hands on a clock. Like an hour hand or a minute hand and a second hand on a clock. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I get it. I get the impulse but it also looks I, when you said it, I expected it to be like a fully clockwork dragon, but no, right, no. right. 
they, they kind of like went like a weird combo. That, but yeah, if, if they had lent, if, yeah, if they leaned into it, sure, right. Mm. But they yeah. kind of met this middle road thing that looks. That's, that's a shame. Yeah. I, I bet. I bet someone will do some amazing fan art of what they think a time jacket should look like, and then we can yeah. we can just yeah, yeah. all collectively exactly. decide that that's better. <laughs> Use that. Yeah, exactly. It's so a good no, thing about no, the the indie community. Nothing is against that, the original artists. It's clearly the the whatever the prompts that they received. Right. It was like yeah. here, design this. And they're like, oh, all right. Oh, it's it's certainly better than anything I could ever create, but <laughs> art wise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is not my forte. So in Planescape, can you Planescape to your own homebrew worlds? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's probably it's like an ideal way, I think, maybe to get from a homebrew world if you want to run like a module out of mm. something. Oh, we'll we'll run a Planescape adventure. We can run the Planescape adventure, and we'll just there'll be a, a portal that will take us to Sigil. Stand, standing fast on that, um, yeah, and then you just yeah. sort of run it from there. Although you, you, I suppose your DM will have to be okay with whatever homebrew characters getting to level seventeen to twenty. So if you if you're also running homebrew classes, then definitely yeah. check check with your DM that that's okay. Yeah. Well, like like the tagline says, the possibilities just like the realms are endless. So, Great. Yeah. Do you guys prefer homebrew over over running games in the Forgotten Realms? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. James, um, strong, I, I, I really, I do really love the Forgotten Realms. Don't get me wrong, um, but I just really like the freedom to sort of create everything from scratch myself. So mm. I've, I've got now. What we've I've now, I've made a homebrew world, and I've, like, created like royal lines and like cities across multiple continents, and wow. you sort of grow attached to it a bit. Yeah, world building is a lot of fun. I, from from my thing, I actually don't think I've run a game in my homebrew world yet. It's certainly been built out, and I always add more. But I've been running mostly Forgotten Realms. I have done Ravenloft. I've done a little Eberron. I've dabbed my toes into Eberron. Um, never done Greyhawk. Uh, I've done. I, I guess that's it. So it's mostly yeah, mostly been Forgotten Realms, Ravenloft, a little bit of Eberron, and something else in there that I'm. Um, oh, I did some Theros for a little bit, um, which was fun. Oh, but yeah. I'm I'm excited. I, I'm I can't wait to break up my homebrew world. I'm a little intimidated myself about it because I've been weaning myself on Forgotten Realms lore for so long at this point that I'm I'm very familiar with it, and yet there is so much out there that no, I feel like no one person can consume unless your name is Jacob. <clears throat> DM Jacob. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. I feel like nobody can like really wrap their head around the entirety of the lore that exists oh, for Forgotten Realms because it's been around for 40 years and it's got so many contributing yeah. people and Ed Greenwood comes up with new ridiculous crap all the time and <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons so, I like I like the homebrews because you don't have to like you, your players aren't going to second guess aren't going to yeah. second guess the lore either because yeah. you do have players who just know like D&D oh, yeah. stuff. And oh, like yeah. dragon dragonlance stuff going back to like the original books and they know all the backstory all the characters all the yeah, all the spin-offs yeah. like all 200 bits of like lore and like weird obscure stuff that yeah. if you contradict they'll be like well actually well, um, <laughs> right well, yeah well shout out shout out to oak because that's exactly what what oak is like in my wayfinders game she constantly is like anytime i introduce something new or I, I drop a name i get a whisper from her being like i know who that is and i'm like hush your face don't you say anything to the others <laughs> <laughs> play cool play cool play cool yeah 
Yeah, brilliant. So, so with with Make It Home Home Brew Worlds, then would you say it's better to kind of like m- sort of make it one one step at a time and have your players in sessions where you're where you're kind of building the world together, or would you prefer to just sort of like go away, build the world out yourself, and then like which mm. is kind of which is kind of what I get the impression you've done, JC. Mm. And then and then invite the players in. Like, what do you think is the better way to do it, and or why would you have to? Why have you decided to do it the way you have, JC? Well, I I mean, we could do a whole series of podcasts on this. Um, <laughs> home, and, and honestly, that would be a lot of fun. I think. But mm. the way, so actually, even though I've kind of gone away and haven't built it or haven't introduced it to the players, I have actually incorporated a lot of ideas from lots of different adventures players having done right. things um in a way my particular homebrew world is actually not unlike um sigil and the the idea that it's a converse of different events and, and characters from different parts of the multiverse so mm-hmm. there's a lot of little homages to um adventurers that i've had you know players that i've had and, and feats have, that have been accomplished and important npcs and stuff like that so for instance that whole alma story i told in one of our earlier podcasts um being the raven queen um she is the raven queen of my homebrew world and things like that but that being said um i'm i come from a long tradition of writing so my my major in in college was english literature and before that i used to write creatively a ton um so for me i just I'll I'll start with some idea and find myself four and a half hours later with sitting on thirteen pages of, of notes and like oh shoot I should probably prep for my game and not just continue on this homebrew building <laughs> stuff so um, that's more of my process but yeah it's two different schools of thought I don't know James how do you how do you do it my, I so I I start sort of on my own just have like a general idea of what I want to have happened, what the current state of the world is. And I like creating cities and mm. towns and like the ruling families of those yeah, and what the, the city is like and, and stuff like that. That stuff I don't tend to take from players, but once they're in the world, my homebrew has been totally changed by the stuff that they've done. And mm. I've also, while playing with them, had ideas for, oh, okay, there could be an area of the world where this is a thing that is more common yeah. or that happens. And you, you do take inspiration um, from your players. I mean, that, it's, it's huge. And they're so great at coming up with, with new things that you can possibly think of just or just inspiring ideas even by like with one-off sentences. And you're like, oh, I can run with that whole idea. Mm-hmm. And I've now written yeah. pages and pages right. and pages based off this one one thing. Mm-hmm. I think the most thing, the thing I had is that I had a player who just wanted to be um, an assassin, uh, and they only wanted to target very high-profile and intelligent people. And I was like, okay. He didn't have a, like, a reason why that. He was just like, that's just the targets yeah, that I go for. And I was like, so I was yeah. like, okay. I can run with that. So what I did is I had him working for an organization that essentially was just culling the best and brightest minds and people who knew valuable information and then interring them in this huge tomb. And then they would keep their bodies there. And when they needed the information, they would go in and you speak with dead to like Whoa. gain that information. So it was like a huge library of people that they That's a cool were then idea. like Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah that it, it's one of <laughs> one of my <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
and then and then they forgot to ask him the last question, like in the D and D movie, and then they were just laid there, yeah. <laughs> sat there waiting. Ooh, hello, <laughs> can someone ask me another question, please? <laughs> yeah, that's oh, really cool. A, a library of the greatest minds ever to exist. Huh. And what well, advice would you? What what advice would you both give then to someone who's starting out as a GM that's never homebrewed before, um, but wants to kind of start? Getting, getting their sort of, you know, their, dipping their toes into creating their own, their own world. Start small. And um, if you have an idea for an adventure that you want to run, start with that. So if you want to run a heist or if you want to run your classic Lord of the Rings adventure, like what do you need to make that adventure work? Okay, you need a starting point. You need a hometown. Or if you need a heist, okay, you need a thing that is worth stealing in this world. Um, people who want to stop you from doing that and a location where that is being kept and that you need to get to. So then you start with those ideas, make it relevant to whatever adventure you're trying to run rather than Mm. starting doing a load of world building on something that's not necessarily going to be relevant for a long time. I'm guilty Mm. of doing it. I've got cities that my players have never been to that I've got ridiculous notes for Um, (laughs) because you get carried away. But if you're starting... I think the best advice I can give is yeah, yeah, know what you're doing. So if you're wanting to run an adventure in the desert, okay, there is you know that there is a desert. Why is there a desert? What is the surrounding? How do people survive? They're, they they need water. How are people getting water in the desert? And you well build from from there. Just ask yourself questions about your world. And I've seen actually on on Reddit people do it where they like, this is my homebrew mm. world. Here's a map. Ask, ask me, me questions. Ask me questions yep. about it. And if oh, I don't have an answer already. I will then think of one and it'll help like trigger something. Build out the world. Yeah. Yeah, and you build out that way. So yeah, yeah maybe work with a friend or just I think maybe this is one of the few things that AI might be good for if you just ask the the AI which we don't like and we don't like people using it. But uh, if you can then get it to do like well, can you give me 10 questions that someone might ask me yeah. about my homebrew D&D world and it can then because it's just if it's just like creating questions for you to then answer, then it's still all your your thoughts and ideas that it's it's pulling out. It's just an aid to do that. Right. Yeah, certainly, yeah, definitely. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah. I would JC? say the same thing. Yeah. Um, start. I, I used to say um, write outward, not inward. So um, starts basically the same the same principle. Start small, right? Um, come up with the core concept and remember that no matter how much labor of love your homebrew world is in in our game it's about the players they have to be attached to it right they need to be the focus so you can have the coolest designed npcs with the most intriguing backstories and storylines you have to let it go to make Mm -hmm. sure that the players are are center stage you can incorporate it you can even add your players to that royal lineage whatever right but mm-hmm. always keep that in mind um the other thing i would also say is um along the same train of thought as you james i really like the ideas of ancient cultures almost all worlds mm-hmm. either fictional or our real world is yeah. based off of a sort of concept of repeating history and the idea that there was a civilization before that may not necessarily have have been more advanced, but were advanced in their own way. And I I love ancient cultures. I love tomb delving. I love that kind of thing. So mm. I always start with that. I'm like, what 
what civilization or ethnic group or um, strange magical origin, what preceded the current civilization and how has that informed cool. the current inhabitants, right? Like, you know, maybe in, in the vein of the Forgotten Realms and, and Netherese or, or, or even Athos, if you run Dark Sun campaigns, which I know a fair bit about, um, has, has there been a, a ban on magic because of how it ravaged the world, for instance, right? That's the whole premise of the Dark Sun campaign. Or, you know, is it, is it, is your, is your city much more technologically advanced because they developed and discovered, or perhaps were even built upon the ruins of an older civilization that they eventually discovered were more advanced and started integrating that technology into theirs, that kind of thing. Arcane does this really well. The series on Netflix, which is um, based on the League of Legends IP. Oh, really? They, I'm not. I'm not seen it yet. I won't That's spoil good. it for you. Honestly, okay. I I'm gonna say, uh, at least for, in my humble opinion, um, I think that show is one of the best things that has come out like in the past year, uh, oh, and wow. I can't wait for season two. Yeah, I know nothing about League of Legends. Right, never played note. it. Watch. So yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, the animation style, the acting, the production value, the direction, yeah. the music, the story, the the character focus, all of it is really, really incredible. So okay, great. Go check I'll definitely check. I will definitely check that out. Nice. Have you seen it, James? I have not. Okay. No, it's it's on my list of, of things to see. But I've, yeah, I've only heard. Yeah, I've only list. heard amazing things. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I have yeah. seen season three of The Witches, so uh, I'm, I'm going to be shunned by the community <laughs> for that for that choice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did start watching The Witcher. Um, but uh, I'm I'm struggling to maintain focus when I'm watching it. It's, mm. it's just it's just, it just it's just the first couple of episodes uh, they're just not hooking me in Aww. as much. It's a shame, and I really want them to because I because I know there's a great story in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm I sure just... there is <laughs> somewhere buried real deep. <laughs> well, pick up pick yeah. up the books, do the right thing, right? Yeah, Support I think I will. I think yeah. I will. I think I will read the books. Yeah, the audio the audio books are very good. I've got them on mm. um, on Audible. Yeah. Do you know who narrates them? Just out of curiosity. Oh, I don't, but I will find well, out for we'll, you. We'll exchange. Then, um, yeah. we'll, yeah, well, <laughs> do you guys have Do you guys have favorite uh, narrators for books? Oh, I do really like the new uh, Discworld books that are narrated by Ooh. Indira Varma, um, oh, yeah. who who was um, she was in Game of Thrones as one of the like the leader of the Sand Snakes. Um, mm-hmm. The one who was married to Oberyn. Oh yeah. Uh, she she's been read. She reads the um, some of the new Terry the, the old Terry Pratchett ones. They're re-recording them. Oh, that's cool. Um, she does yeah. a very good her job. The, is the, lovely the, too. Yeah. Is it yeah. full cast or is it just her? Uh, there is so Peter Serafinowicz uh, is death. I want to say mm-hmm. no. Oh, yeah. No. Yes. He. Yes. He is. And uh, Bill Nye. He does the footnotes. Oh, oh great. That's God, cool. I've got a love of Bill Nye. So, so that, the, the, yeah, just the the new recordings are are very good. Like a, a lot of people are attached to the old voice actors, and they are they are very good. They're, the the recordings are dated, but I st- I do really like the voices they did mm-hmm. with the original recordings. Um, but yeah, and I have now completely slipped my mind who the two guys are that did it because it did change sure, back then as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, they yeah they're great. But yes, awesome. I. I really want to check out. I think it's. I'm not sure if it's just the the new recording of the Hobbit or if he's doing all of Lord of the Rings. But I heard that Andy Circus was re-recording, or I'd seen like promo videos of Andy Circus oh, re-recording wow. some stuff. Yes, he has. Yeah, he has done 
that she sounds I mean, his this. voice has always been wonderful so i can't wait especially now that it's a little bit settled and deeper and gravelier so yep um i can't wait for that and I, but i that aside i was gonna say i will always be a stephen fry narration fan i could listen to that mm. man read me my shopping list and I'll be <laughs> yeah i do have to agree there yeah he's um yeah his hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is oh, is excellent it's um, just perfect it's like I'm the not, voice I, that was that's, made that's brilliant i've not, i've got that on my on my audible actually in him doing that yeah same and it's, it's uh, so good. his sherlock holmes is fantastic have you heard the yes sherlock, you heard yes there? i've got the, the yeah the only person called the sherlock and it's what? Like, yeah it's good yeah, like every sherlock, sherlock oh, holmes. i gotta really, i gotta check that yeah. out he I, does all he so, does all of them so Literally. I didn't want to say anything earlier, but I, I had a very opposite relationship with books when I was younger. They were kind of my only friend. I didn't I didn't have friends in school. I was very, very much a book nerd. I didn't have video games. I didn't discover them until I was in my teens. So I was obsessed with Sherlock Holmes. He was, uh, I, I think I read all of them at like the age of seven. Oh, wow. um, and I, I did, like when I found out that my school library didn't have all the books, I was so upset. And then my dad was like, no, 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 no it's okay. It's okay. We can go to the library. I was like, yes. Um, and that was my very, very first trip to London when I was eight. Um, my very first trip abroad was to London because I wanted to go to the Sherlock Holmes Museum <laughs> and, oh, you know, obviously experience the culture and everything. So I, I was obsessed. I had no idea that Stephen Fry read those. That's it's a marriage yeah. made in heaven. I've got yeah, to check it, that out. It is. They're yeah. really good. They're really, really good. And there's like four words and stuff as well read by him because um, I think Stephen Fry is a huge Sherlock Holmes nerd as well. He's part of like the Sherlock Society or whatever. And the ghost That's amazing. Went to is meet, that so. probably why he, ha- he was uh, cast as uh, the brother? In yes, the, in the films, yeah. I imagine so. Yeah, yeah. I think more than likely. Yeah, but I mean, he likely. is. Yeah, he's just he's just that quintessentially British sort of yes. actor, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, mm. he is. He's a very funny in man. the best way possible. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, cool. So, um, okay, so what we got in terms of updates from Tales from the Tables? Ooh, we have a lot this week, and mm. I also have a big one. I'll I'll save it for the end. Not necessarily that it's better, but I'll. I'll go through them, and if we have time, I'll go into mine. If not, we'll save it for next week. But um, starting from Richard Mortimer, who ran another stag party private booking last week, um, in his own words, I had prepared an encounter with a dying ancient red dragon and an emotional speech with the wisdom of ages as the creature drew its last breaths. I hadn't expected the adventurers to turn up on the back of a flying elephant, however. Parentheses, apparently a wild-shaped druid with the fly spell cast upon it. The dragon's last words became, A flying elephant. Well, bugger me. (laughs) Uh, The elephant is a rare choice for a wild-shaped form. Objectively, it isn't as good as the other options. But it is a lot of fun. That is true. Thank you, Richard, for your submission. Um... I don't know so much about that. I've seen more than a handful of people turn into elephant or mammoth and then fall from a distance. They they do the classic polymorph and let gravity do the damage. Oh, I usually get whale for that, yeah. Ooh, whale. Well, right, right. <laughs> whale. Yeah, right. That's from, that's from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. As I say, yeah, it's very, it's very Hitchhiker's Guide, yeah. Yeah, classic. All right. Uh, now we have one from Harry Jephart, who runs a team game on Friday nights. And this is more of an overview of what they've been up to so far or recently. Um, so his team game, in his own words, uh, my team game has been the definition of splitting the party. 
In the first arc, they began in a city where they all joined different gangs and began fighting each other for loot. And when it came time to fight the villains, they'd all either run or side against each other. The second arc, it was all about recruiting an army, during which two of the players sided with the villains for 12 sections. <laughs> After the war was over and they'd fought each other on numerous unplanned occasions, they said, we've got it out of our system and we're all together now. Little did they know that the third arc villain focused on mind control, and so had been getting into the minds of the characters, splitting them up and having them fight each other so that he can get away. I thought this would annoy them because they'd been against each other as characters for so long, but they've done nothing but laugh at the irony. One of the players even said, if I'd known this arc was coming, I wouldn't have started as many fights with you all back in the beginning. <laughs> uh, why does this read to me like a Pokemon game? Like you're just pitting, pitting people against each other constantly yeah, right. for cruelty. <laughs> I love it, though. Um, very, very cool. Very unique. Um, all right. Now we've got Jordan Carmichael, who's been running games with the National Trust Charity through partnership between Roldark, Leicester University, and the YMCA. He had his final session with them at Chalk Abbey at the weekend, and here is what went down. In his own words, in true D&D style, we had a big final battle with the villain of the story. Having tracked down a missing noble and daughter within the Feywilds, the party stumbled upon a garden full of rotting plants and vegetables, being tended by a spindly ancient old woman. The woman is more than unhelpful, but one of the party notices that the large black tree at the center of the garden has these large sap-like protrusions, and one seems to have a shadow in its middle in the shape of a person. Fearing the worst... The party rushes the old woman's house, only to be bowled over by the noble's daughter, who is clearly under the old woman's control. The old woman now reveals herself to be none other than Black Annis, a powerful hag of great renown. Bound by fey laws, Black Annis can't attack the party directly unless they attack her first. So a fight breaks out with Black Annis bending the rules in her favor by having Ermine, the daughter who made a deal with Black Annis, as her proxy to try and fight off the adventurers. Several rounds of tense combat later, the party managed to knock Armine unconscious with a well-timed sleep spell. But, much to their despair, they realize Black Annis can continue to control her like a puppet. Ooh. There is a tense, above-table discussion on how to stop Armine without killing her, when, with a thunderous crack, a dagger appears in their midst, a gift from some fey allies they recently made. Dagger ex machina. Striking Aramine with the dagger, they find that it has broken Black Annis's control, causing her to fall fully to the ground and forcing Black Annis to flee, for now, at least. The party rescue Aramine and her father, and upon inspecting the dagger, they find an inscription in Sylvan. Oathbreaker. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. That is cool. That is cool. I love yeah. Feywild themed hag encounters. I've run many of them, and I love I love them all. They never get old. Um, yeah. Constantly at work in creativity to see how the players overcome these bizarre rules and games that they're in. So yeah, yeah, it's cool. Okay, <clears throat> and finally, this is a bit left field as it's an update from a player rather than one of our DMs, Paul Christie, and a game he runs at home for his family. Um, so, in our home game on Sunday, 
in his own words, of course. So in our home game on Sunday, my youngest, Niam, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, 12 years old, decided she wanted a pet chicken for her robe. So she bought a chicken, made a harness, and it came along to the caves <laughs> they were investigating. When I told her that all stealth checks will be a disadvantage, as she has a chicken harnessed and walking beside her, she decided to put it in the bag of holding and take it out every five minutes so that it could breathe. So then came the first time she took it out of the bag, this rabid, freaked out chicken who, number one, doesn't like being put in a bag, and number two, being put in an extra dimensional pocket plane with no lighter oxygen meant that when she took it out, understandably freaked out, 10 real minutes of laughing and chasing an imaginary trick chicken to try and calm it down has now resulted in it being named Gertrude. And I have created a magical chicken harness that makes Gertrude and only Gertrude immune to all damage because I don't think I could ever let the damn chicken die now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yep. Brilliant. You learn the, you learn very quickly as a DM, the consequences of giving players pets. Like you, you, if you do anything to harm them, you are then on f- officially on their shit list for a good long time. So such the nice, yeah, yeah. People get very attached to imaginary imaginary pets, which is good. It's what you want. <laughs> yeah, very good. Cool. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. I think. Uh, cool, yeah, because cool. um, James, you're go- you're having to shoot off, aren't you, my friend? Yes, I, I, that is indeed true. Um, uh, from from the field, um, I'm being a uh, big a big told I must vacate. So mm. vacate Samuel's... the field. The farmers like, hey, get off my land! Yeah. <laughs> get off your weapons, lovers! <laughs> oh, you you cool. do you, you do know the people here, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> okay, no worries, Brilliant. man. <laughs> so those of you who are listening who have um, never had any kind of interaction with Rolduck before or have no idea who we are, we're a gaming community, a role-playing gaming community made up of around 300 players and 30 dungeon masters, all professional dungeon masters, and they host around 20 or so games a week that, um, that our players enjoy. You can find out more information about who we are on www.rollduck.co.uk or you can drop over to our Discord, which you have an invitation link at the bottom of this episode description. Thanks, both of you, for uh, for joining us again for episode six. Six, six. six. yeah, six. thank you. Fantastic. And we'll see each other in person on Friday. Oh, yes, oh, yes of course. Yes, then... this Friday, the GM Academy. Yeah, um, yeah starting at um, 9.15, the doors open, if anyone's listening. It's at the Examination School's in Oxford University in mm-hmm. Oxford, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you don't. If you've bought a ticket, don't worry. You have not going to be sent a ticket. We're going to be marking off names on the door. All right. So uh, yeah, if you're going to that, we look forward to seeing you. Yeah, and if you haven't, uh, it stars all of us. I'm teaching a volition of voice class and an improv class. Possibly running a game. James, what are you teaching? I'm doing map making and the reasons we should be using maps in tabletop RPGs. Because there's a number That's of right. reasons. Nice. And I'm excited to tell people about them. Cool. You could be running a game as well? Uh, yes, and I'll be running a game in the afternoon as well. Yep. Sweet. So come check us out. Yeah, yeah nice one. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.